0: Through the centuries, people have battled with, fought with, accepted and rejected an idea, hell, hell, hell. Hell. Is it a real place of conscious eternal pain? Is it just a concoction from the human mind trying to keep humanity tamed? The Bible seems to affirm its reality, so we can't seem to remove its centrality from Christian belief and thought. How can he look at the creation he loves and say goodbye forever? How could he allow or cause such a thing? Unless, unless, what if hell is a picture, a strange picture of his love? God creates man and in an act of love gives him the opportunity to choose, an opportunity to choose life with him or without him. What if God allows people to have their own way, an eternity without him? What if?
1: And good morning to you, too. All right, those of you who are watching from an off-site campus or one of the venues—and by the way, if you can't find a seat in this auditorium, which I think they're all full right now—if you'll hustle over to the chapel or the warehouse, uh, you'll get the same thing exactly on a two-minute delay. So, I want to say uh, welcome to you, but I also want to ask you a question. Maybe you're working out with a podcast. Um, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask everybody in here a question, and that's this. How often do you think about hell? How often do you think about hell? Well, like in the summertime, probably more than other times, (laughs) especially if you live here. I was in Dallas last week, and it was still over 100 degrees. I think hell was a local call uh, from there. Or, Or let me put it like this. Have you ever been reading, you know, you're reading your quiet time or you're just reading the Bible and you come across one of the passages that talks about the horrors, the agony, the awfulness of hell and it's Jesus talking about it and you go, what's up with that? I mean, how could a loving God and this coexist? You ever, you ever thought about hell much? Probably not. Probably not. Um, I grew up in a pastor's home in Denver, Colorado, and we thought about hell a lot. Uh, Probably too much, but we did. Dad could preach Jonathan Edwards, you know, uh, sinners and her angry God, uh, whatever, I don't remember. But uh, we we, we talked about hell, and we believed in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, um, the rapture, and that if you miss the rapture, that you would be doomed forever. And I can remember sometimes, even as a teenager, waking up in the middle of the night when the house was too quiet. Have you ever been there? And I'm thinking, I miss the rapture. And so what I would do is I would go upstairs where my parents had a bedroom and I would quietly sneak in, sneak over to my mother's side because I felt that she was a little bit more rapture ready than my father, even though my father was a preacher. You have to understand... We believed that you could lose your salvation. Let me just say up front, because I'm going to evoke a ton of questions today. I'm just telling you that it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be okay. I asked myself, how would Joel Osteen do this? And he wouldn't. So what what I'm going to (laughs) do is I'm just going to, I like Joel. Joel's a friend. But, um, but I just want to say up front, I believe that when you're saved, that you're saved. Okay, that's just where I am. I also believe a lot of people that say they're saved aren't. That's a whole other subject, and we'll probably get there today. So anyway, so so I had this I had this awareness of hell, and uh, some of it may have been a little out of balance, but I got to be honest with you. By and large, it was a good thing, because it kept me in a soberness of a fear of God. Now there's there's this tension that isn't to be solved. It's just to be managed. What, how about the fear of God and the love of God? Well, they're both real. Okay, they're both real. So we need the whole package. And, and over the years, I have kind of lost some of that, to be honest with you. I'm just going to confess that today. And I've been kind of rebaptized into maybe a balance in the, in the last few weeks. Now, we're in a series right now that we're calling Trending because we're, we're tackling some tough subjects, some trending things, some things that people are talking about. Next week, we're going to talk about politics. The week after next, we're going to talk about 9-11, and we've got some incredible stories from this church. The week after that, we're going to talk about um, economics. How does the Bible look at the economics of our country? Um, and then the week after that, we're going to talk about anything I want to that we didn't get to, just kind of a catch-all of stuff that maybe people are talking about. We're going to hit some tough topics. This week, hell, hell is a trending topic for basically a couple of reasons. Because uh, two uh, cool, hip, young pastor theologians wrote books. The first one is this one, Rob Bell, and it's called Love Wins. Has anybody read this? A few people have read it. Uh, this made a major splash Just a few months ago, huge splash. Rob Bell pastors a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, Maybe you know him from NUMA videos. Some of you have used those in your small groups. And uh, he put out a video that rocked the Christian world as a trailer to this. I want you to see it.
2: Several years ago, we had an art show at our church. And people brought in all kinds of sculptures and paintings and we put them on display and there was this one piece that had a quote from Gandhi in it and lots of people found this piece compelling They'd stop and sort of stare at it and take it in and reflect on it but not everybody found it that compelling somewhere in the course of the art show somebody attached a handwritten note to the piece and on the note they had written reality check he's in hell Gandhi's in hell he is and someone knows this for sure, and felt the need to let the rest of us know, will only a few select people make it to heaven? And will billions and billions of people burn forever in hell? And if that's the case, how do you become one of the few? Is it what you believe, or what you say, or what you do, or who you know, or something that happens in your heart? Or do you need to be initiated, or baptized, or take a class, or converted, or being born again? How does one become one of these few? And then there is the question behind the questions. The real question, what is God like? Because millions and millions of people were taught. But the primary message, the center of the gospel of Jesus is that God is going to send you to hell unless you believe in Jesus. And so what gets subtly sort of caught and taught is that Jesus rescues you from God. But what kind of God is that that we would need to be rescued from this God? How could that God ever be good? How could that God ever be trusted? And how could that ever be good news. This is why lots of people want nothing to do with the Christian faith. They see it as an endless list of absurdities and inconsistencies and they say, why would I ever want to be a part of that? See, what we believe about heaven and hell is incredibly important because it exposes what we believe about who God is and what God is like. What you discover in the Bible is so surprising, unexpected, and beautiful that whatever we've been told or taught The good news is actually better than that, better than we could ever imagine.
3: The good news is that love wins.
1: And And so this video came out and it caused just an incredible splash in Christendom. In fact, uh, Rob was on the front cover of Time magazine with a heading, something like, What if Hell Doesn't Exist? And so I got the book as quickly as I could. Before it was printed, we got the publisher to get us one, read it, devoured it. And um, uh, it kind of is a form of a theology called universalism that has been around uh, since about the second century, but has been rejected by Orthodox Christianity. But there's still a segment of people that believe. And my point today is not to bash Rob Bell or anybody else. But when I read it, I thought, here was my first response. Um, First response was a lot of questions that a lot of people have, I have. Good to get the conversation going. Second response was, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Third response was, it doesn't square with what I know. And so I began to study it even more. And then this book came out by another cool, hip, young pastor who's a theologian, Francis Chan. It's called Erasing Hell. And basically it's a response to this book. Uh, Francis Chan has sold a million and a half books with his very first uh, book uh, called uh, Crazy Love. Some of you have read that. And uh, he did this little video while he was writing this. I want you to see it.
3: Lately, there have been a lot of discussions about hell. And, and it's been good because it's caused me to re-study what I've always believed about hell. And, and it's interesting because some of the things that I thought were so clear, they're really not that clear in Scripture. And then there's other truths that I thought were, you know, questionable. And yet the more I study, I go, wow, that's actually crystal clear. But the one thing that's definitely come out of this study of this topic is... Wow, it's been so humbling and so sobering I mean I, I know that I've I've struggled with uh, pride my whole life but God's kind of revealed it to a completely different level I, I mean the other day the image came to my mind of Romans 9 where God compares me to a piece of clay and he says you're, you're like a piece of clay and I'm the potter and so just that I thought wow That means I'm like a piece of clay trying to explain to other pieces of clay what the potter is like. Think about that for a second. It shows the silliness for any of us to think that we're an expert on him. Our only hope is that he would reveal to us what he is like and then we can just repeat those things. And in Psalm twenty-five, verse nine, he talks about how he explains his way to those who are humble. And so I'm going, "Hey God, I want to be humble then, because I got to know the truth about you. Humble me, show me the pride in my life. See, and that—that's why I've been—I've been concerned as I've listened to some of the discussion about hell, and I and read some of these things that are written, because I'm going." The tone in which we use. I mean, we're going to be careful here. We have to guard ourselves against, first of all, heartlessness. I mean, do you understand what we're talking about? We're talking about real people here. We can't just have these theological discussions about a doctrine when we're we're talking about people's eternal destinies here at the same time. And and then I think about the carelessness. We we can't be careless in this discussion. We can't just argue for our point of view or what we think is right and so we present our case and we neglect all the other evidence. Man, do, do you understand what we're dealing with here? Well, we gotta lay everything on the table and go, look, it's your destiny at stake. So I wanna just present all of the facts, everything I can think of in this book and let you decide, not sway you, just go, look, here's everything I see we got to make a decision about this. And and then, maybe the the thing I'm most concerned about is, is this arrogance. Look, in Isaiah 55, God says, Your thoughts are not like my thoughts, and your ways are not as my ways. He goes, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's that's how much higher my ways are than your ways, and that's how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts. So when we begin an argument with, well, I wouldn't believe in a God who would, who would what? Do something that you wouldn't do? Or think in a way that's different from the way you think? Do you ever even consider the possibility that maybe the creator's sense of justice is actually more developed than yours? And that maybe his love and his mercy are perfect and that you could be the one that is flawed. See when we make statements like, well, God wouldn't do this, would he? Do you understand? At that moment, you're actually putting God's actions in submission to your reasoning. You're in essence saying, well, God wouldn't think that way or act that way because I wouldn't act that way or think that way. And yet, if when I read the scriptures, man, all through this book, I go, God, there are some things you say that I would never say. There are things you do that I wouldn't think to do. I, I mean, even from creation, I go, so Adam and Eve sinned, and and so you're going to put a curse on the earth? I wouldn't think to do that. And then there's other passages that are even more difficult for me to stomach, like Exodus 32, where the people sin, and God tells his priests, here's what I want you to do. I want you each to grab a sword, strap it to your side, and then I want you to run back and forth, and I want you to just start killing people. Some of them will be your brothers, your friends, because of this sin. And I'm reading that and 3,000 people dying going, wow, did you just do that? Or to think about the story of Job and go, really God? It it seemed like he was one of, if not the most faithful man on earth, and you're going to have his family die? You're going to have all of his possessions take away, you're going to have him? You're going to let him be struck with these sores all over his body and suffering? And then I get to the cross, and I go, really, God? These people have acted so wickedly, and so your response is going to be, I'll have my son, my perfect son, my only son, my beloved son, humble himself and take the form of one of these human beings. And I'm going to let these other human beings torture him, spit on him, nail him to a cross. And then you're going to have him pay for the crimes of everyone else. I go, I would never have thought to do that and then 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 you get to the end and and and, in revelation 20 how the story ends and i go god you're going to do that to one of your created beings where he takes the devil in in revelation 20 verse 10 it says the devil this is god's creation who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever." And I read that I go, really, tormented day and night, forever and ever? And then in verse 15 if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire look there are a lot of things in this book that I go wow God you did that you thought that I wouldn't think that and I wouldn't have done that but when I come to those passages and when you come to those passages does it even enter your mind maybe he knows something that you don't or is it always I have this ability to reason and I have this level of morality and so something in him must be off here or I won't believe in him right now I'm writing a book it's about hell it's about one of those things where I think I, I miss God on it in some ways and I don't want to belittle him. I don't want to draw conclusions that are not true. And that's why I'm asking you to pray for me. Because I know there are things that I want desperately to be true. And I also know that, that, that there's a, a part of me that thinks God ought to do things a certain way. And I don't want to put him under me. I want to be honest and say, look, here's all that God has written. I don't want to draw any conclusions that that aren't there. I don't want to read into it too much. I just want to present this fairly, and I don't want to misrepresent him. And I want to encourage you, as you discuss this, it's good that you discuss these things, but I'm asking you do it with humility. Confess, pray fast, and study diligently on this one. Because we can't afford to be wrong on this issue.
1: Hmm. We can't afford to be wrong on this issue. I'm just going to be real honest with you. I've been pastor here for 23 years. Toughest week of preparation I've had in my life. Toughest message that I've delivered. Here's what I want to do. I, I, I want to, as clearly as I can, rightly divide God's word. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a point of view that I believe. I'm going to challenge you to go to your Word and to search it out, and you come to a point of view, and then I'm going to challenge you to live it. Is that fair enough? And so that's kind of where we're going uh, right now. All right. Here's what I want to do, and there's certainly not enough time to cover this subject. Uh, it, with a with a broad brush like I'm going to in about the next 15 to 20 minutes, but I want to ask three questions. I got a lot of questions about hell, but I'm going to ask three of them uh, this morning. And and here we go. First one: Why does hell exist? Why is there even a need for hell? How could a loving God, you know, make a place for His creation called hell? And Just kind of a side note, when I ask that question, I way underestimate the breadth of the judgment of God and what judgment and justice really is. I also way underestimate the enormity of the impact of sin. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. But that having been said, why? Hell, let me give you two reasons. Number one is so that God can deal righteously with Satan. So God can deal righteously with Satan. Satan's the one that derailed the train at creation. That Adam and Eve sinned because they were tempted by Satan. Sin was entered into the world. All of the bad things that have happened in our world can be traced right back to Him. God must deal righteously with Satan. There must be justice. Now... Let me just say, Satan and hell are a little different than what we think of. You know, when we have this idea of Satan and hell, is that he lives in hell right now. He's kind of the gatekeeper of hell. And that's kind of where his whole deal is. You know, that like if you go to hell, Satan will kind of be the guy that greets you at the door and say, you know, cat lovers in this line, Yankee fans in this line. You know, that type thing. And that's not true. That's not true. In fact, as we'll talk just briefly uh uh, hell for satan actually exists at a later time satan is not in hell god created hell and let's just get the words of jesus most of what i'm going to teach today is just going to be strictly quoting jesus and what he says about this awful place he says away with you you cursed ones! into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons hell exists and was created for the devil And his demons so God could deal justly with what he has done. Second reason hell exists is that it exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers, with evildoers. Second Thessalonians, and this is the Apostle Paul, says this. He says, he, God, will punish those who do not know God. Now he gives a whole rationale in Romans chapter 1 about, you know, why everybody should understand that there is a God. And for you to say there is not a God, you have to reject evidence for a living God before we go, man, that's not fair. And then then the second part of it, he says, and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, I want to explain that. The gospel of our Lord Jesus. Let me me give you two kind of views of the gospel. Both of them, I, I believe, exist together. The gospel, big G gospel, is this. The good news is that God created the earth. He created man to be uh, in his image and to have fellowship with him. Man sinned in the garden. As a result of that sin, evil entered into the world and uh, separates us from a holy God. God could have left it that way forever, but God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only son, I don't think I could do that. No, no. I know I couldn't do that. At least one of my sons is in the audience today. I could not give my son so that you could have life. Especially if you didn't deserve it at all. Couldn't do it. God did. He gave his son as a sacrifice for sin so that the just penalty of sin could be paid in him and not in you. And so that you could have eternal life forever because God loved you so much He didn't want you to have to deal with what we're going to talk about today in the place that we're talking about. That's the gospel. It's the good news and that's great news. Now the gospel of Jesus is that, but it's more than that. The gospel of Jesus is everything that He preached and He taught. And what this scripture says is that hell exists for those who reject God and refuse to obey the gospel of Jesus. Let me give you just a, a broad brush of the gospel of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, and I don't have the scripture, so just jot it down if you want to. It's the whole chapter. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus threatens hell on you if you call your brother a fool. Jesus says if you call yourself a believer, but here's what you do. You take your Facebook account, your Twitter account, you know, or, or uh, you know, w- what else, whatever, whatever else, your blog, And you call a brother a fool. You uh, uh, say terrible things. You attack your brother with harsh words. He said, you're probably not a believer and you are in danger of the fires of hell. That's the gospel of Jesus. Matthew 7, Jesus said that there will be many who thought they would waltz into heaven and would actually go to hell. He said, there will be people who on that day will stand before me and they'll say, hey, I did miracles in your name. I came on Easter and Sunday to Seacoast. I actually tithed of my income. And Jesus will say, away from me, you evildoers. Why? Because you called yourself a believer, but you were evil. You... Threatened your brothers. You did some of the other things here. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus basically says in Matthew 8, if you're a racist, you're not going to heaven. Call yourself a Christian, call yourself whatever you want to. But if you discriminate on the basis of ethnic background, color of skin, you're a racist. He said, you're not a part of my kingdom. That's the gospel of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, if you turn a deaf ear to the poor... Then you're in danger of hell. If this is a continual thing of yours. If you call your brother a fool, if you're a racist, if you if you act like or you 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 put the label Christian, but you are an evildoer. Now he's not saying you're a Christian that has a bad day. You're a Christian that kind of has, you know, a discouraging month or a discouraging week. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you call yourself one thing and this is your habitual actions, then you are in danger of hell. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with those who deny God and name only Christians. Now, Rob Bell in his book says that there is one aspect of hell and the major aspect of hell is the hell on earth that we bring upon ourselves. And while I agree, last week I said, hey, it's a lot more fun to preach on heaven. Can I tell you this? Last week I said you can bring heaven on earth into your marriage, into your relationships as you obey God, follow God. You open up the windows of heaven. You can bring it in. You also can bring hell on earth into your arena. Rob says you know, hell is things like you know, the Rwandan massacre curse where men with machetes went through and killed man, woman, and children. And they brought hell into that scenario. Or it's a woman who's been raped and some of you have experienced that. You said that's hell. He said, "It's hell when a um, when, when a child has to see and know that their parent committed suicide." He said, "That's hell for them and the family." He said, "It's hell when someone who has means, has money, refuses in their will to give any of it to their loved ones because they want to get back at them." He said, "That's hell." And while I would agree, those are pictures of hell, and they bring hell into into uh, kind of the arena of where those people live. Ah, those who do evil aren't necessarily suffering there. Those, it's the victim who suffer the hellish consequences. See, let me give you a fact of life. There are a lot of people who commit horrendous sins who never suffer the consequences of sin in this life. We like to think that all the, you know, the loose ends tie up and everybody gets what they deserve here on earth. And it's not true. There are evil dictators that abuse their people who live in luxury while their people starve and they never get judged for it on earth. They die in the lap of luxury. There are um, sex traffickers who take advantage of young men and women who make hordes of money about it and never get caught. There are some serial killers that never, ever during their lifetime get caught. See, that's why the idea of judgment is stressed so much in scripture. You gotta understand this. That's why, that's why I can sleep at night on my pillow and feel like I don't have to write every injustice in the world. I do what I can. I don't have to get back at people who take advantage of me in any way i don't have to have retribution i'm not created for that here's why because i believe nobody ever gets away with anything and that god's justice is just as strong as god's mercy and when there are those that take advantage of other people there will be an accounting someday for that that's why paul talked more about the fate of sinners and judgment than he did forgiveness mercy or heaven combined did you hear that Paul talked more about judgment than he did about forgiveness, love, mercy, combined, heaven. Jesus spent a lot of uh, real estate in the New Testament speaking about hell and judgment. So why hell? It's so that God can deal righteously with Satan and with evildoers. Number two, what is hell like? What is hell like? Since we don't have anybody with a testimony today of having been there, let me just look in the Word, okay? Because there is a story there that's very graphic about what hell is like, and it's actually told by Jesus. It's a parable, but it's, it, it seems to have a very real setting. There are two characters in the story. It's found in Luke 16. The first one is a rich man. And let's read it. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed and lived each day in luxury. There was a rich man. He was a really, really, really rich man. How do we know? He was splendidly clothed. In some of the versions of the of the Bible, it says that he wore purple. Purple was a very rare dye. When someone wore purple, that was extremely expensive. Some theologians who have studied this story say that this guy, one outfit that he wore one day could feed a person for an entire year. Let's contrast that with me. My outfit today could feed you and your family one meal at Chick-fil-A if you have coupons, okay? (laughs) I'm cheap. This was a very rich guy. It says he lived in luxury every day, okay? Then there was another character, he was a beggar. Luke 16, 20. At his door lay a diseased beggar, a diseased beggar, get the picture, named Lazarus. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Gross. Gross. Here's what happened. Rich man ate great food, all he wanted, lap of luxury. At the end of the meal, his servants would come in, uh, you know, sweep together the crumbs along with some dirt off of the floor, and they would go and they would throw it out to Lazarus And the dogs and Lazarus would eat. Now, the rich man wasn't a terrible guy. He's not a bad, evil guy. He doesn't call the police and say, get rid of this guy. He's an eyesore to the neighborhood. No, the Bible says he wasn't an evil man. The Bible says he was judged because he he didn't live out the gospel of Jesus. He was oblivious to those right on his doorstep in need so, what happened luke sixteen twenty two finally, the beggar died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham to be with Abraham, the bosom of Abraham. Uh, it was a common uh, understanding at that time when the righteous died, they went to paradise. Remember last week, if you were here, I talked about paradise. Thief on the cross, Jesus, I want to be with you. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is the current heaven. Last week I talked about that too. If you weren't here last week, it seems like you need to go on the podcast so that you'll know about he- heaven as well as hell. Uh, but, but it's the current heaven, not the ultimate heaven, which is heaven on earth here, but the current heaven. That's what he was talking about. He went to the current heaven, paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. His soul went to the place of the dead. Now, other versions, NIV says hell. He went to hell. It's from the word Hades. And it is. it was known as the place of the evil ones. It was kind of a waiting room. It's hell part one. Hell part two is when Hades is ultimately cast into the lake of fire. That happens in Revelations at the end when Satan is judged. He's thrown into hell and all of Hades is cast in with him. So this rich man was in a place of torment and he sees poor Lazarus. Verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water. Just the, the tip, the tip, just the, don't give me a, a whole cup, that's too much to ask. Just the tip of his finger, put it on my tongue. I am in torment. What's Jesus saying? He's saying hell is a place of unspeakable suffering. In fact, let's kind of put a parenthesis here on this next thought because I'm going to come back to the story. If you were to jump over to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus describes how horrible hell is. He says, so if your eye, even if it is your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even if it is your stronger hand, Caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. What's Jesus saying? Is He saying to do all of that? No, He's saying to think about this. Just think about this and I want you to. For a minute, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be good for you. Here's what He's saying. He's saying if if there is something that would keep you from following God with passion, He said here's what you ought to do. Put your thumb in your eye. And just gouge it out. Because it would be better for you to be in that condition than to deny God and to be in hell. He said, if if your left arm, that's my good arm. By the way, the last three presidents were left-handed. If you're Four, actually, I think. But if you're left-handed, if you're left-handed and your hand causes you to sin, get a saw and just cut it. all the way through you know the only person that would cut their hand off their own hand would be one who and i've read stories about this who were hiking or whatever and thought that the only way to live was to cut it off that's what jesus is saying here's what he's saying he's saying hell is so indescribably horrible you don't want to go there do whatever you can he speaks of weeping and gnashing of teeth. He speaks of outer darkness. I don't know what all that means. Some of it is is uh, metaphorical and, and, and uh, it, it's a way of speaking that tells a story. I understand that. He's trying to tell you how horrible it is. You know, I hear people go, well, I'm going to hell. That's where all my buddies will be. Well, you know, they might be, but you won't know it. Because it speaks of outer darkness. What do you do? What's the worst punishment you can give a prisoner? Solitary confinement. And hell, solitary confinement. You come to a point, you realize nobody's coming. That's where the rich guy was. He realizes he's not getting out. Notice, he does not complain about how unjust it is. He only complains about the fact that he's in torment. Um, verse 27 says, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not come to this place of torment. He believes in the reality of hell. He believes in the reality of hell so much that he says, the least I can do is tell somebody about this and not, not to come here. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, he understood and believed in the reality of hell much more than most of us do. In fact, honestly... 80% 80% of Americans believe in heaven and everybody believes they're going there. 36% of Americans believe in hell and nobody thinks they're going there. And 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 we, we don't live like that. And that's the third thing I, I, I want to just kind of deal with. And I, there's so many more questions. I hope you'll study it out. We'll talk about some of it on the city this week. But the third question is, how should hell impact me? How should hell impact me? Heard somebody say one time that if they were going to give Satan a strategy on how really to kind of neutralize the church, what they'd do is convince them that hell is no big deal. That'd be it. Convince people that hell was no big deal. Because if you could do that, a couple of things would happen. People would reject Christ with no fear of God whatsoever. You know what? That's already happening. It's already happening. You hear it every day at work, at school, wherever you are. People take the Lord's name in vain. God You know the other word. Jesus Christ. You know why they do it? there's no fear of God. None. You know why you put up with it? There's no fear of God. No big deal. So what if that happens? Big deal. You know? People, Christians, or people who call themselves believers, will read the Word. And they'll come to a passage and they'll go, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change my lifestyle in that way. You know, I'll, I'll pick the part I want and throw the rest of it out. No fear of God whatsoever. It, it impacts everything. It impacts our wallets. You know, uh, Christians are less generous than non-believers. This really rattled me when I first became a believer. I thought everybody was totally committed. You know, 3% of Christians actually honor God with their finances that tithe? 3%. 97% say, I'm not going to do that. Why? No fear of God whatsoever. See, we don't take seriously our responsibility to help the poor. Our treasure looks like it's on earth rather than heaven. Totally upside down to what Jesus taught. And that's what happens when you say that hell's not a big deal. Second thing that would happen is people wouldn't share their faith. Why should I? Why should I inconvenience somebody? Let them do what they're doing. And you know what? It impacts all of us. You and I both, we have people who are... Who are outside of the faith and they're struggling with stuff and sin and we leave them alone and we don't even pray for them we don't even pray for them charles peace was a burglar and murderer who lived in sheffield england in the 1800s he was caught and convicted caught and convicted caught and convicted and finally he was sentenced to die Leonard Ravenhill in his book, Why Revival Tarries, recounts the last moment of Charlie Peace's life. He says on his death walk to the scaffolding where they were going to hang him, the prison chaplain was walking by him with a Bible open, just kind of nonchalantly reading some scripture about heaven and hell and eternity and all of this kind of stuff. And Charlie Peace thought, how can he do it? How can he with, with no emotion, with no with, with nothing, how can he read about a place of torment to somebody who is he knows is going there within just moments? And so he stops and he turns to the preacher. And he said, sir, if I believed what you and the church of God say that you believe, and he didn't, He said, even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on my hands and knees and think it worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell like that. Told you it was a tough week. Went to Dallas, Texas. Had to be in a meeting. Flew back. On the way back, I read Francis Chan's book. I'd already read Rob Bell's. And as I read it, I was so convicted. I thought, that's why I went into ministry. That's why we started this church. We had no desire to build some huge church, we had no desire to empty out other churches in the Charleston area of believers our sole desire was to reach people whose eternal destiny was one without Jesus. And it drove me to a passion. And I challenge some of you who've been here for the whole time, we have got to share our faith. We have got to invite people to come. We have got to do that because there's so much at stake. And over the years, honestly, I've gotten off message a little bit. I don't know that we ought to preach about hell every week. But I think we ought to have this understanding that there's a lot at stake. And so I'm flying back and and I'm reading this book and I I look around and I think, there are people on this airplane right now, all around me, there are at least a few who are going to die and they're going to go to an eternity without God. And I ask myself if I really cared in what and if i did what mattered more than that i was convicted and i prayed and i repented then i wanted to preach I wanted to stand up and say ladies and gentlemen before you start your final descent there's there's so much to say and so little time i'll leave you with one final thought you know jesus didn't speak the words that i taught you today about hell to the prostitutes to the tax collectors to the sinners of the day you know who he talked to it about it's to the religious people to the pharisees and the teachers of the law those who claimed faith but didn't live it out see coast either we believe it or we don't and if we do our lives should be radically different Would you agree with that? Let's bow for closing prayer. Father, I thank you today for your word, the entire counsel of Scripture. God, I thank you for even the hard parts that we don't want to look at because they reveal to us how little we know about your love, your mercy, and your justice. Father, as created beings, we repent collectively here today of thinking that we take the high moral ground that we know more than you on any subject. God, I pray that you would examine our hearts, that we would respond to you in ways that would be honoring to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.